What's up, Wizards fans? Back again for another week, another episode. This is your boys from the Capital Crossover Podcast. Uh, this is your boy, Jack. We are a man down tonight with no Kyle, but you know me and Tech's going to make a shake. Tech, introduce yourself, man. Let them know what's going on. Like he said, Jay Tech's on the mic. Back here for another fresh episode about our beloved Wiz kids. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at JTexKnows. And I'm going to pass it back to Jack. Let's get this show on the road, man. Yes, sir. So like I said, we're without Kyle tonight. Today is Tuesday, November 1st. Uh, Kyle had some uh, big boy uh, work to do as the, uh, you know, the real media person out of this group of three. You know what I'm saying? But he will be back ASAP. Um, we got a lot. We got a couple of couple of different topics we're going to talk about today with our beloved Wizards. Um, before we dive into that, I do want to express my condolences to the family and friends of Rapper Takeoff. Um, who was killed in Houston last night. Um, I, you know, we're not going to speak on this topic too much, but I do feel like it's important to acknowledge, um, you know, the importance of things like that, um, you know, when we're sitting here just talking shit about the Wizards, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's more important things in life, more important things than, than West Sunset or Tommy Shepard being fired. Um, hold on to your loved ones, kiss your loved ones, hug your loved ones whenever you can, man. Um, text you anything to say on that topic? Um, a lot of what you just said, man, uh, I'm hoping, you know, the fellow Migos members can stay strong, the, the quality control label. Um, I mean, and then his, his real family and friends outside of the industry, man was only 28 years old. So it's a life lost too early. It's tragic. Um, but like you said, we send our condolences, um, and we would love to see stuff like this stop happening. No doubt about it. Um, very, very sad situation. Um, and like I said, the, the, the guys at Capital Crossover want to express our, our condolences to the family and friends at Takeoff, man. Um, but let's dive into some of this, uh, you know, the more lighthearted wizard stuff, man. So, Tex, our boys, after such a strong start, such a, such a promising start for our wizards. It seems to be a common thread with us, man, is to, <laughs> to start off strong, whether it be a game, whether it be the season, whatever the case may be, to start strong and then just kind of, I don't even now. I won't say fall apart yet, but it's it's got to be something like that. So our boys started three and one um, since the last time we recorded. They dropped three straight and three basically blowouts. Uh, they lost Indiana on Friday blowout. They lost to Boston in Boston on Sunday blowout, and they lost last night, which was Monday um, to who? Who, did the, who am I missing? Oh, Philly with no Joel Embiid last night. Sex. Let me ask you, bro. <laughs> what is what happened since the last time we recorded? What, what was you seeing out of those past couple games? Man, listen, on, on our last episode, right? I thought I had made myself clear. I said, you know, it's a three and one start. Great work thus far, or really good work so far. But we got to keep going. Like we can't get complacent. We can't get excited. We can't feel too good about ourselves because we've seen this movie before. And I don't know if, you know, the team got full of themselves. Maybe they listened to the episode and was like, nah, we doing good. Like, we, we can keep doing what we're doing. But I don't know, man. Those last three games is really frustrating to watch. Um, especially, well, <laughs> I'll be fair, right? So the game against Indiana, we, we beat them the opening night of the season. Um, anybody that has watched sports for a while, you know, like, it, it's hard to beat the same team 
over and over again the more that you play them. Like that's always going to be a challenge because they get more familiar with what you do. And the more you beat them, the more motivated they are to come back and, you know, try to stop that. So I can't say I was completely shocked that we we lost. We dropped one to Indiana. Uh, I would say out of the three that we lost, the most frustrating to me was actually last night against Philly, because like you said, no Joel Embiid out there. Huge opportunity for us on our home floor um, to, to, you know, grab a, a confidence boosting win over a team that's typically always seen, at least for the last few years, as a top contender in the East. Um, so it was just frustrating to watch, you know, their best player is out. Of course, James Harden is still there, but he's not Joel Embiid. And I feel like in the type of player that Embiid is in, in that center position, those are the type of teams that we're going to struggle with. Um, I said it to both you and Kyle in our group chat last week, like the teams that have a legit five man, it's going to be really tough for us to beat them. Um, just because, yeah, we have Porzingis, but he's not like, he's not a stout defender. I don't think he's ever been labeled as that. Um, and then, I mean, that's just not a strong point of our team. So for us to go out there and not be able to get the job done without him beat on the floor, it stinks. And and then of course, three game losing streak. So I don't know, man, how'd you see it? What are your thoughts after those three? Well, let's talk about the Philly game just because you brought that up. It's kind of interesting because you talk about no Joel Embiid, right? And in your head, you go, okay, got a feast in the middle, right, with no Embiid, right? Trez is there, but Trez is not the Trez of three years ago. Trez is not even the Trez that we had last year, in in my opinion. Um, You know, not as much much time, not as much burn. He just doesn't look like the same guy. You get a you get a strong Christos Porzingis performance, right? He drops the thirty ball, hooping right from the scoring point. You know the type of performance that we've been hoping, you know, that he can do on a more consistent basis. He's you know been shooting well, but just hasn't looked as you know as, as in his groove as we may have seen him at the end of last year. So you get a you get a great game from Kristaps, and then you just get a bunch of nothing from the rest of the team. Like not not like you get a bunch of nothing from the starting five or the bench, you got a bunch of nothing with Joel Embiid. They didn't shoot well. They didn't attack the glass well. They, like, you couldn't have asked for, like, just a stranger, like, just empty game. Like, it was weird. And you and you look at, you know, the guys like, you know, the guy the guy who you really think should be feasting in these type of situations is a guy like Kyle Kuzma, who we give all types of props, you know, when it comes to these, you know, you know early starts that the Wizards have had, but Kuz uh, didn't. I'm, we're not going to dive into the twenty million dollar a year, you know, stuff. But Kuz didn't look like he belonged in the starting five. You know, the past, you know, the past couple of nights. So no Joel Embiid. They got absolutely destroyed by Tyrese Maxey. Like Tyrese Maxey made our our starting guards look like JV defenders. Um, and Tyrese actually is a, is a future star in this league. There's no doubt about it in my mind. He's a future star. But, you know, when you're putting more weight on a young guy's shoulders, you know, even if it's just for one night, you've got you to prepare for that. You've got to make sure that you know, all right, no Joel Embiid. Got to look after Harden. Got to look after Tyrese Maxey and Tobias to an extent. But they just had no answer. You know, clearly DeLon Wright being out is not, you know, good for this team from a defensive standpoint. And Tyrese Maxey took advantage. Monte is small. Not a horrible defender, but he's just, you know, you got to figure out other ways to, you know, to to be able to, to you know, to guard guys. You know, when when one guy's out, you got to check the next guy, you know, from the opposite end. We talk about next man up. It's all right. Make sure you're checking the next man up also. Um, so I 
I do agree with you to an extent about the worst loss being the um, Philly loss, but I'd argue that the Boston loss bothered me more. Um, and I'm probably in the in the minority out of those three, like which game bothered me the most. And the reason that the Boston game bothered me so much was we just got – it was a perfect example of getting blatantly outstarred, right? And I tweeted about it. And it shows the, – the blatant, you know, being outstarred by Boston just goes back to realistically what this team's long-term, you know, outcome is going to be. Right. You have Jason Tatum, one of the best players in the NBA. You have Jalen Brown, one of the best secondary pieces and probably also one of the best players in the NBA. And the Wizards didn't they couldn't you know, hit water if they fell out of a boat as a team. But Bradley Beal was also atrocious. And I've given him so, you know, I'm, I'm Bradley Beal's biggest critic. And I've given him a lot of credit early in the first couple of games. But that Boston game, like they just blatantly got outstarred. Bradley Beal wasn't himself, even if Bradley Beal had been himself. They would have lost by 15 instead of 25. So I think that was just a game that that really showed, you know, what the ceiling of this team is with Bradley Beal as your star guy. Um, it just goes to show what – no offense to Bradley Beal, but what real stardom looks like in the NBA. So <laughs> from a more minimized perspective, like the, the Pacers game and the, and the Philly game are much more, you know, tweaks, little things like that. But the Boston game, I'm watching this, you know, going – this team can get a seven seed, sure, and losing five. You know, there's not a whole lot of difference as far as outcome goes with Bradley Beal still being at the top. So that's what I was saying. Um, I, I like that you said that, and I want to I wanna provide, like, a bit of a rebuttal just to appease to our listeners. You know, we don't want to make it seem like this is the end of the world. Um <laughs> So I like I like that you pointed out the Boston game and you know the star power that they have Jason Tatum Jalen Brown elite duo um, and and guys that can actually get it done on both ends of the floor when they're really really locked in. Um, but what I want to say is, I think I think we can be okay as a team with Brad as the as the number one guy. I don't think the issue is Brad being our number one and us not having enough star power. I think really when you boil it down, when you boil when it boils down to it, um, it's it's the team defense because we've seen all the times like over the years, like real scrappy squads. Like I, I think a good example would be the Memphis Grizzlies. Their star power was never like through the roof or some all star bunch, but they made sure they go out there every night and they compete, especially when they play a team that has some elite scores and some big names. So I feel like. As a team, we have to do a better job defensively of at least like making it a challenge for these guys who are who are big name scorers like Tatum and Brown, because um, if we just let them go out there and coast to their 25, 27, sometimes 30 a night, we we have no chance because, like you said, we don't have the firepower to actually like keep up with that. So the way we have to um, combat it is is be as scrappy as we can, frustrate them, slow the game down, limit their possessions and really lock in defensively. And then when we go down on the other end, you know, facilitate the offense through Brad, uh, Porzingis, and Kuz. And, you know, you need your role guys to make open looks when they get them, especially from three. But I think the the real key is, is our defense. Um, and if you look at those last three games, right? So not just the Boston one, but the last three. Last night, we let Philly put up 118. It's a lot of points. 
Um, the first game of the losing streak, we allowed the Pacers to put up 127. A lot of points. Um, and then the Boston game, which you zeroed in on, Celtics put up 112. So, I mean, if we're if we're giving up 110 plus a night, a lot of them games we ain't going to win just because we don't have the firepower. It's, it, it, I think it's as simple as that. We don't have the firepower. Um, we have some key guys. We have a star in Brad, but we're not about to win those Western Conference looking scoreline games as if it were the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks out there. I think that's a very interesting point that goes back to like, you're a hundred percent right, but it's, and this isn't me. Like, this is not me like bashing anybody, but it's just, it's becoming clearer and clearer what the intentions are that this team just doesn't emphasize defense in any way, shape or form from top to bottom. I'm talking about from, from Tommy down. I mean, you look at, you look at the summer, right? You trade away realistically your your best defender, who's supposed to go out and guard Jalen Brown, right? You trade KCP, who I'm not, you know, not bashing Monte or Will Barton, but if you bring in Will Barton, obviously Monte is supposed to hold down the point guard role. That's why they make that trade. But if you're making that trade and bringing in Will Barton, you're kind of, as we talked about a million times, you're kind of banking on a lesser defender, but a better scorer is the goal with throw. Right. Who, again, I'm still a big fan of, but it's like when when Thrill's not knocking down shots, he's not some stout. He's not the stout defender that we had in KCP. So it's clear that they're much more interested in running and gunning and trying to you know run you out the gym and drop 140, which the problem becomes they're not the Russell Westbrook team from a couple of years ago that had a little bit more potential of doing that. Not as good of a team but had better chance of their, you know, the, the emphasis and the mentality hasn't changed even with bringing in West, right. They want to run. They want to try and drop 130 and they're, you know, outside of Denny Avdia, who we'll, who we'll get to in a couple of minutes. Gafford, who we want to be a defender and can be a defender can't, you know, has foul problems. Porzingis is not much of a, you know, a real plus defender. He's a good interior, you know, shot blocking type of guy. He's not some great defender. I mean, Rui, we all kind of know where we all sit on Rui. You know, there, there's no real defenders on this roster unless I'm missing somebody. So it just goes back to the emphasis that, you know, if this team wants to be any good realistically, you need a better version of Bradley Beal. You need Kristaps to shoot better from three. You need Thrill to knock down shots. And that's kind of what you have to bank on. Right. I know this sounds like a darker day, but it's kind of like you it's kind of good that it happened because you know what you need to win now. You know when Thrill's not knocking down shots, you know when Chris Ops is struggling from you know beyond the arc, this team's gonna struggle a little bit more because we know they're not gonna defend. Yeah, and I think we really wanna wanna keep it positive, like we vowed to do when we started this thing. Um after these three losses, now there's the time to reflect. And like you said, you, you realize what's gone wrong what can work for us and what won't work. Um, and since we're not a unit that can really lock down defensively, I feel like now the, the thing is the onus does somewhat fall on the, the front office. Um, what is, what is really our vision for the team? Um, and it, 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 it needs to be longer than just the next year or so, because I don't think we're in a position to be like, we're in win now mode. Like we're finals or bust or anything like that. It really is like 
clearly Brad is here to stay unless something happens that we don't see coming. Um, but how do we really build around him and start thinking of like, all right, this is the project for the remainder of his contract. What kind of guys are we going to put around him? Are we going to go with a defensive minded squad or are we going to make sure we get enough shooting and complimentary scoring around him as possible? So if we don't have like that defensive uh, mode to our team, we can still compete on most nights unless it's just a really bad shooting night. So it's a harsh reality. Um, like you said, it's a darker day, but this is the state of the squad. These are the pieces that we have. Um, and, and there's only so much that can change within the season. So, Hey man, three and four, not the end of the world, but that that's a rough three game stretch. Absolutely. And I think one thing to just add before we move on, but like you, you said it right, you know, they need to figure out the best way to build around Bradley Beal because that's their guy. The problem when you, cause like, it's so easy to say, and we've all said, right. It's so easy to say Brad isn't a number one, right. Got it. We, I've said it a thousand times. You said a thousand times, Kyle said a thousand times, but the issue when you really dive into it becomes the reason that Brad is not a number one is because it's going to take more from the Wizards front office to build properly around him. Bradley Beal, the basketball player, is not hard to build around, right? It's just putting a team around, but it's hard to build around Bradley Beal, the number one player, right? Everybody talks about, oh, Brad can fit into any, any scheme seamlessly, right? Which he can. You know, he could go to any team and he would be he would fit in seamlessly because he's, you know, he, he moves well without the ball. He can score. He's three levels. You know, but if he has the ball in his hands, he's going to he's going to you know, he's going to attack. The problem is it becomes harder when he is your best player, if that's really the goal. Right. Chris Porzingis is not a bad piece to put next to Brad, but you still need more. And when you're paying 250 M's to Bradley Bill and you're paying 35 million to Chris Porzingis, it becomes harder to put together together. Realistically, this goes into the draft and them just not drafting well, but you have to put more into it than I think people realize in order to properly put, you need to hit on every single ad when it comes to building around a lesser number one. And they just don't really do that, which is the concern for me moving forward. Not just Brad's not a number one, but hitting on every single move in order to uplift Brad the number one is what I'm getting at. All right. I like that. And before you move on, I have a question for you and I guess the audience as well. And if you're not able to answer it right now, we can, we can table this and we'll pick it up at a, a later episode after you're able to think about it. But now that you said that, it made me think about this, right? If you look at the Western Conference, who, which player and which team or franchise is the equivalent of what we've been going through with Brad Bill? Would you say maybe, you know, the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard? Is that that's the spot on answer? I see you nodding your head. That's the yeah. So Dame, there's always been the comparison that the Blazers are Wizards West. I think that or the Blazers are Wizards West. I don't know if I said that right or not. But the only difference is Dame in his prime was taken out. Like it's hard because like like I don't even know if Brad's that good. Right. Dame, Dame and the Blazers were Wizards West when and I I know that a lot of people are going to hate me making this comparison, but it's Dame and them were more of the wall Beal Wizards. Right. That's that John, because like realistically, John was not a number one either, but he was more of a number one than Brad. 
right? John can take over Dame, games. Dame can take over games. Brad can take over games, but he's not going to do it in a seven-game series and win you playoff games. Dame has. Um, that's a that's the easy answer. I feel like that's probably the, the best answer. I'm trying to think if there's any in the West. Hmm. Do you have one off the top of your head? I think that's typically always the first one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you said is very fair because I, I wanted to give a disclaimer that, you know, Brad and the Wizards are probably that on a lesser scale. Because like you said, we've actually seen Dame in Portland not only make the playoffs, but actually take a series or two. Like they'll advance. He'll do something crazy. And it's like, oh, like these guys might be for real. But what we've seen from the Wizards and Brad is like, we'll like barely scrape in. We'll get in the series. We'll kind of make it competitive. Sometimes it'll look like, ah, they might have a chance to win this one. And then we'll completely, like you said, five games and then it's over with. Now, to to give Brad a little bit of credit, Bradley Beal was a much better number two option with John Wall than he's had number two options since he's been the number one, right? What the Westbrook it is Westbrook was Russell Westbrook a star player in the league when he was in Washington? Absolutely, but you know what? You know with Westbrook, everything's always going to be clunky, right? Like right, that's not even a knock on Westbrook. Like you just know it's going to be clunky because of his style of play and the way and how dominant, you know, he is with the ball in his hands. It's just, it's always going to be a little bit weirder. So I, I give Brad some credit because he hasn't had a lot of help and has done, you know, more with this, you know, not great roster, you know, as, as, you know, he's done more than you'd expect, but at the same time, it's kind of like, all right, we've tried building around Bradley Beal like three different times in three different years and they'd all come out with the same results. Yeah, and and now that the more that we talk about this, I'm laughing because I just thought of another one that's it might actually be m- more accurate. Um, Donovan Mitchell's Utah Jazz before he got traded. That might be like the the exact equivalent. Honestly. And and you and it's kind of interesting because that's another interesting example because you remember when they were talking about Mitchell and the Wizards might be interested and um, I refused. I would have been heated if that happened. Uh, well, but the the what I, the point I was getting at was that people were like, "Is Mitchell even worth it if he's not even better than Beal? Is he better than Beal? Is it close?" They're similar. I mean, they're similar players. Like realistically, like there's there's similar guys. I would pre- I prefer Mitchell over Beal solely because Mitchell's younger. Like that's the sole reason. Like if they had to, you know, if it was one or the other. But that I mean, that's not a bad one. I, it depends on how you look at Rudy Gobert. <laughs> that's what that comes down to. Well, yeah. So that that yeah, that's a big difference. The Wizards have never had like that kind of deep. Now he's a defensive anchor. I know we were talking about defensive anchors last episode. He's a legit one um, and great on the board. So as this, we we go on about this all day long. Yeah, no doubt. That, no doubt. That, but, that topic definitely made me think of it. Um, the audience says you're listening. You know, if you have some alternatives or if you have any thoughts on, you know the the subject of the Wizards kind of being stuck in the, what you might want to call purgatory. Let I'd, us like to, I'd like to change the question up a tad bit. So okay. Just to make okay. it broader. What name a team that most closely resembles this current Wizards team? It could be the 2007 Michael Red Bucks or like some shit. Like just think of a team that 
because like it's it's hard to think about because you know like it's not Tracy McGrady in Orlando right because Tracy McGrady is a better player than Brad but it's also not you know Kemba Walker in Charlotte because Brad's better than Kemba so it's kind of like it you know it's kind of all over the place but yeah I am curious to see if we have any responses to that that's a good question um, but we were talking about Rudy Gobert, the defensive anchor, um, which brings me to a topic that was kind of interesting that kind of just came about in the past couple of days um, in, in, the, in the idea of our defensive, you know, our best defensive player in Denny Abdiya, who I believe it was against Boston, played, started, as he's been starting for the whole season so far, played 11 minutes, didn't see him much. People thought he might have been hurt, weren't really sure. and then. They come on Monday to play Philly, and Denny's not even in the starting lineup. He got benched for maybe – i I'm not going to say my least favorite player because he's not, but gets benched for Anthony Gill, right, <laughs> who I just I, – like Anthony Gill – there's nothing that Anthony Gill does on a basketball court that warrants him being on an NBA roster, let alone in a starting spot, let alone getting 15 minutes a game. <laughs> But, Tex, let me know, what are you thinking about, A, Denny getting benched, B, Denny playing 11 minutes? How are we feeling about this this weird kind of disdain for Denny among the Wizards? Yeah, I actually wish, you know, we were in the postgame press conference and we could have threw this question at Wes. Um, because we need some answers. Like, there's there needs to be some sort of real explanation about this. You know, if it's, if it's his health, Sure, I'm okay with that. I can live with that. We want to make sure our guys are good. We don't want to rush them back out there, put too many minutes on them, and put them in danger of something bad happening. That is totally acceptable. But if there's anything other than that, please paint the picture for us because right now it's not making sense and it's not adding up, especially immediately following the loss of DeLon Wright, who was another plus defender for us through the first three or four games. So now it's kind of like if if Denny's healthy and we're benching him, and not only are we benching him, we're almost relegating him to barely any minutes at all. The message that I've received, and I kind of said this in our opener, is that, oh, we we don't care about defense. Like, we, we know we ain't got too many options, so now we ain't even going to try. And we're just going to go out there, see what happens in the games, I guess, and try to score as many points as we can. But when this guy is clearly – and it's not even it shouldn't even be arguable right now with the line out our our best defender he has to be on the floor especially the last two games against those really high level teams that have like elite scores like you said Tyrese Maxey came out last night did whatever he wanted to do had a little birthday party on the court <laughs> uh, Boston Jalen Brown Jason Tatum most nights probably not going to stop both of them but you got to at least try to contain one. Um, but we don't even have our best defender out there. So it doesn't make sense to me. I would love to hear um, Wes's thoughts and what he's saying. He actually might have um, answered this or spoke on it in the press conference last night. I wasn't able to catch it, but I haven't seen the story come out. I'm hoping this is just a health situation. But if it's like I said, if it's not that something is wrong um, and, and Wes needs to kind of right that wrong as soon as possible. No doubt. Don't quote me, but I literally believe after Boston, he said like he didn't like what he saw because everybody was like, what's going on? Like, why isn't Danny out there? It's it, it doesn't. I just don't really understand it because you're playing Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. 
right? I'm, and I'm not saying that Danny's going to strap up either one of them, but at least if if you have who you think is a plus defender, who passes the eye test as a plus defender, even if he's not guarding them one-on-one help side, you know, weak side, whatever you want to talk about, like, why wouldn't he be on the floor? And they, you know, the Wizards haven't done a great job of, like, mixing and matching lineups and making sure the right guys are in with the other right guys, but it's like, that doesn't mean Danny should be dropped from the rotation altogether. Um, so I don't – there's not really a whole lot to talk about. We just don't really understand what the disdain of – I'm not like some big Denny Abia fan, but when he's your better – one of your better defenders, if not your best defender, what's – what are we missing, I guess, is the best, the best question. And uh, another part of it is, like, we're also not this team that's kind of, like, in this situation where we can – we can bench guys that were supposed to be starters. And then if not starters, like key rotation players, like we're not, we're not some golden state warriors where we can scale back a Kuminga's minutes or somebody like that. That's still young coming along. We see the potential to scale back minutes to try to send some sort of message. We are not in that position. One, we are not deep enough. And two, the roster, even the the limited guys that we can give extended minutes to is not, that kind of quality where we can just pull one guy almost completely back. Um, so I, like I said, I don't know what he's thinking. Um, he got to get it together. I, I, like you said, it's not too much to say. It's, it's, it's also, I want to bring, this is kind of leading into our next topic that I wanted to talk about. And it's, it's something that, you know, has been talked about on Twitter by Domo and Diolante and, and Matt and some of these other, you know, big time wizards, um, Twitter guys, but, it's also one of those things where not even thinking about uh, Denny, but you're thinking about Denny now, you know, it's not like they're, like you said, it's not like there's, they're giving guys minutes who deserve the minutes more than Denny, but you're also giving minutes to, you know, Anthony Gill over Rui Hachimura and guys like that. Why did, why did Anthony Gill start the other day? They have other better options. And it goes back to the idea that like, maybe, maybe, Wes and Tommy are kind of punting on this weird core that they thought was going to be, you know, they're like not young core because they already had Brad and Westbrook and all those guys when they started doing this. But like, why is Anthony Gill not, why is Anthony Gill starting over Rui Hachimura if it's not going to be Denny? Right. And, and to entertain the idea that maybe they are punting on her, maybe they, they realize, you know, like this, this is not the answer long term. I feel like even if you're going to put yourself in a position to kind of offload these guys, you still have to give them enough minutes to audition to another team. Like, of course, we're not just going to go out there and state like these guys are on the block, like public statement. Like there's not going to be a PSA or anything like that. But internally, especially when your front office and your coach meet, you got to give these guys enough minutes so that when we enter into whatever trade negotiations may come up, we have like some kind of leverage at least to point to their performance and be like, this is what he can do with X amount of minutes. We're not really pleased with him here, but you know, we, we were willing to give him to you for whatever it is we want in return. That's not going to happen if this guy doesn't see the floor. Cause then the team's going to be like, well, we don't have any film to look at. There's no proof. Um, there's really no numbers to support your argument. This guy doesn't play. So why should we give you this? If he couldn't even get on the court for you, you know what I mean? And it's kind of also one of those things that kind of like it's it's you talk about, you know, showcasing guys and things like that. 
it's not even like when the guys have played, they've been in the best situations either. Like we've talked about how Wes's lineups are not Scott Brooks-esque, but like they're just kind of strange. Like why are we going with all bench lineups, you know, at at one, you know, one point in time? It's, you know, Daniel Gafford needs to be playing with shooters, right? Needs to be playing with shooters, but he's out there playing with, you know, Rui Hachimura and Monte Morris and, you know, he's – you know, can't catch a lob, you know, it's just, it's little things like that. Daniel Gafford is also, after I gave him some props in, in episode one has been almost unplayable. Uh, but we'll save that one for another time. Um, but it's just like, it's, it's a combination of what is Wes thinking. And if it's a bigger issue than we're making out to be, or if he's just tinkering with the lineups, honestly, you know, it's still early, but it's almost like what's going through his mind, what's going through the coaching staff's mind that is causing, Rui, Denny, guys who realistically have been looked at, you know, as a whole as guys that should be getting a lot of minutes and, and should be, you know, chewing away at, at, at different aspects of the game. And they're just kind of freestyling it at this point. Um, it's <laughs> This topic is kind of an interesting one text because we don't really have like an assumption. We're just kind of like, what the hell? <laughs> like, we don't really have like a. Like yeah, no we, yeah, we watch it like everybody else. Like, I, yeah. hmm, this don't look right. This don't seem right. What is going on? We see the the losses piling up. It, it's not a recipe for success right now. And I think collectively and unanimously, all of us can probably agree that whatever Wes is doing right now, that ain't it. Time to move on to the next thing. Please do not keep repeating this cycle. I, I think that's the only hope is that it's just a tinker thing. Like, I don't think like... I, I would assume, like, I, like I know there's been a lot of, like, flack going, you know, thrown at West, but it's like I can't assume that Anthony Gill will be starting many more games with Denny Abia and Rui fully healthy, right? If this is still going on in December, January, like, that relegation shit might need to, like, become a real thing so that we can just punt on everything and just be <laughs> like, all right, well, G League it is. Yo, uh, and, and my last point before we switch off this, I know we got one more thing to move on to, but if this if that's what you were gonna do, right? If you're gonna tinker, give the minutes to somebody like a Johnny Davis. Like we've already made the investment. This guy was our first round pick, 10th overall. Give him some experience. Why are we giving burn to Anthony Gill? Like we know, even if he even if he goes out there and does like serviceable, right? We know this guy is like no real puzzle piece to anything in the long term. He's literally on the roster because we probably ran out of money and we had to fill out a slot. And like you said, there's nothing that you can really put your finger on and this guy does that says, hey, he warrants a top 15 spot on an NBA roster right this second. I mean, Johnny, I'll be honest with you, bro. In my opinion, this is not, you know, a right or wrong thing. I don't, Johnny Davis, I don't really include in these types of conversations because Johnny Davis hasn't looked like he belongs on an, and again, this is not like, this is not a a disrespect. Like he just hasn't looked like he belongs on an NBA court right now. Right. Like Johnny Davis, like I, I know in the last episode, I I think it was last episode, I mentioned like, hopefully he can play through mistakes, but even when he's been given those opportunities, like it looks dangerous having him on the court. Like it, like, if you're down by six, you're going to, you know, he can work you into a 12 point deficit. If you're up by nine, he can let that team, you know, claw back. He just looks lost. And it's, uh, I don't, I'm going back and forth because I'm almost like switching up on what I said, you know, last week, but it's like, 
G League wouldn't. I don't know if it really held. I don't know. Johnny Davis. I. I don't want to say. I don't want to say the things that I would probably tweet. So if you want to see my tweets about Johnny Davis, we can talk about that. But we're trying to keep positive energy on this podcast. Um, but the last thing I want to touch on text, and again, this like I keep. You know, we sound kind of negative, but Bradley Bill, who we're used to being the go go getter, bucket getter has looked rather passive the past couple of games. We talked about early how it, it was fitting, right, when Kuz or Porzingis are on. It you know takes a little bit of strain off of his back, um, and he looks a little bit more comfortable. But I noticed that in the Philly game in particular, that even when guys are playing well, i.e. Porzingis, like Brad's still the one. Like that's who your bucket getter is going to be. You still want him to go get a – you know, go get a – you know, hit a three – you know, take somebody off the dribble. Like you still need that Bradley Beal on your team. It just doesn't look like they've had that, the, you know, since the last week in these three losses. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, let's call him passive Brad. Yeah. Um, and I think over the years, you know, before we even had this podcast thing going, we've noticed that, you know, Brad will occasionally go through like this kind of phase. Like it'll be a stretch of games where, you can tell he's not on something's off. And I don't know if it's like the mental piece. Um, if he's laboring with something physically, uh, if he's trying to send a message to the front office or the coach, we don't know. Brad typically does well of like hiding any disdain and, you know, answering questions the right way pre and post game and, and showing decently strong body language on the floor. But when you just sign that super max deal, can't do that no more John Wall is no longer in town this is your team I'm gonna need you to go out there and own it each and every night um and you can't be passive if we have any hopes of going anywhere of towards any type of success Bradley Bill cannot be passive it's also one of those things where it's like we haven't seen that in six games at all like we haven't seen like at this point like as much as I hate watching Brad Jack like it's kind of like you know, if he went out, you know, in the next game and and chucked up 30 shots, you know, and he went 10, you know, five for 30, I'd be better off with that at the moment watching Brad, current Brad because it just doesn't look – it doesn't look as organic as it did in the first couple of games. When they're losing, when they need him to go get buckets, he just hasn't been doing it. Um, but, all right, Tex, I know that our time is running out. Um, another another quality episode. I had a little bit more, dis, you know, you know, disdain, you know, bad things to talk about. But, you know, we're going to keep it positive here. Um, it's your boy Jack signing off. I'm going to throw it over to my man Tex, and we're going to get out of here. Hey, this is JTex. Like I said, find me on at, on Twitter at JTex Knows. Also, follow the Capital Crossover page. Hey, we got Philly tomorrow night. We got to get our lick back. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, God.